You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Curtain up theater people and welcome to your program is your ticket coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of My Husband and My Play at The Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is Chicago theater producer extraordinaire, and he is, he's like an energizer bunny. He is so, 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 goes, 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 goes. Larry Little, the founder and CEO of CPA Theatricals, whose musical Numbers Nerds about an almost all-girl high school math team chosen to compete in the national math Sum It. I need to ask him if that's actually a real thing. I was wondering about that. Who unite to solve difficult math problems, conquer anxiety and rivalry, and find a way to affirm themselves both as individuals and as team members. And it's currently featured in this year's 2017 New York Musical Festival, a.k.a. NIMPH. That's its... Um, that's its initials. Uh, we saw this, David and I saw this a couple nights ago on its opening night. This is an, an adorable, fun, energetic, um, uh, uplifting show with powerhouse performances, great writing, and a wonderful direction. And, and I, I can't, I cannot recommend this show strongly enough. It is so, so, so good. I loved it. So, anyways, before I bring Larry on, I thought I'd take a moment to shed some light on something I'm sure Larry knows quite a bit about, and that's the early development of a theatrical work. Now, uh, recently, if you follow me, and if you follow my podcast, I did a couple interviews with the cast and the director of the new musical I'm working on called We the People. Um, uh, about three weeks ago, I was in Chicago, and we did a, t- a two-night performance of that uh, just to see where we stood with it. And I tell you, we learned so much. It was just, you know, it was like, what works, what doesn't? And that is that is just so important for writers. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit more into detail, and, and quickly, uh, with the journey of the play At The Flash, which I mentioned earlier in my introduction. And that's a, a play that my husband David and I co-wrote, and he acts in. And it's a show about... Uh, uh, the life of a gay bar through five different eras, um, told through five different characters, and it switches back and forth between era and character probably, I don't know, something like 70 or 80 times. Um, 
Just so you know, uh, we started writing at The Flash in 2002. Yes, that's 15 years ago. Gosh, I feel so old now. Um, and when we started, I worked the uh, original stuff through my L.A.-based writers group. I used to live in Los Angeles, and I can't uh, advocate writers groups strongly enough. They're so, so important. Um, and and which basically what you do is you bring 10 to 12 pages to the um, to the group. They read it out loud. They give you feedback, and uh, and that's great because it's important for writers to know how to not only give productive feedback, but more importantly, to take productive feedback. A lot of people get defensive. It's a skill that takes a lot of learning and just a lot of experience, but eventually you you learn to not take it personally. So, um, But anyways, uh, I worked that through the group, and then two years later, we did a reading in our living room. That was 2004. We invited a bunch of people over, and David just read the script aloud. And of course, that showed us where where different beats are and the flow and what characters are working and what needed to be developed. Then three years later, in 2007, we did a three-day workshop that was fully performed in a small theater in Los Angeles. I call it Garage Theater because that's that's the small theaters in L.A. Um, and we did lights and sound, and he performed it. And um, that was really critical because during that performance, after we... We asked people for feedback immediately, but like six months later, we had a pool party, and a friend of ours named Ed Ramsey, who calls me Shangela, he, come, he comes up to me and goes, Shangela, let's talk. Um, I want to talk about At The Flash. It needs a moment where everything sort of comes together. And I thought, okay, I thought about it, and that led to what we call, or what actually our director, David Zach, calls the hurricane monologue, which took three years to write, and it's a moment about two-thirds of the way through the show, or three-quarters, where... David, my husband, stands center stage and basically, you know, after being all over the stage and doing blocking and interacting with other characters, just stands there and starts doing big monologues that then hone down to one word and the characters are actually talking to each other. That was a huge turning point for the play. So um, anyways, uh, we, I entered it into the Pride Films and Plays Great Gay Play Musical Contest and in 2012, it was part of a live reading series of the five finalists, and then it won. How cool is that? That's so much fun. And then we had our first production in 2012, 10 years later. So, And then we've had seven productions of it, and, and that's wonderful. And, and, and even then, it still continues to, to develop. So the reason why I want to talk about this is because it's all part of the process. And um, I, I think if you focus your mind on just enjoying the process of the creativity and, uh, and, and, and rolling with that and, and being with the people who are seeing the show over and over again and, and listening to them, you're really going to have a good time. Also, um, one of the things I want to mention that's the... Okay, I'm so neurotic that when I started becoming successful, I actually had to go to therapy. Yes, I am that crazy. And my therapist said, Sean, while you're going through this journey, the best thing that you could do is focus on the relationships that you are creating because your career is going to be up and down and everybody's career goes like that. Other people are going to be successful when you're not. Otherwise, there's no success because everybody's, you know, achieving the same thing. So enjoy the people that you meet. Enjoy the relationships that you create. Put people first and you will always, always enjoy your career. That's the best advice. Well, that's definitely the best advice she ever gave me for sure. So that's what I got out of therapy. Well, that and more. So anyways, um, I thought it would be a good idea to roll through that because... My guest on tonight's show, Larry Little, I think knows, well, maybe just a little bit about that. So let's bring him on. Please welcome theater powerhouse Larry 
Little. Hi, Larry, and welcome to your program, Is Your Ticket. Well, hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, I met you through Laura Stratford, who I interviewed on her own individual show, and um, she is the uh, book writer of, of the show, of Numbers Nerds, and you are the story writer for Numbers Nerds. So um, tell us a little bit about that. How did that happen? Well... In order for me to just let me just to give you a little bit of background that might be helpful. Okay. I, had, I had a show business career before, uh, and I left it about the age of thirty. Went into the business career, uh, was a CPA, had my own firm, and I sold that firm and decided I wanted to go back into show business. I left show business as a producer, and now I'm a producer. So after I left, I took a few months and I said, you know, one of the things that I had never done was produce an original show. I'd done all the war horses, but I'd never worked on developing an original show. And at that time in Chicago, there was just a whole bunch of new developing plays and musicals happening. So I just kind of dove right in. And as I started this, I thought, well, you know, I could maybe come up with a story and then let's base it on that. And um, I was very lucky because I had a client um, who helped write a very, very successful play, and um, she made a great deal of money on it. And I went to her and I said, would you mind just helping me kind of develop the story? And over a few series of uh, uh, a few lunches, we developed the story. I wrote it all out. She said, now you make sure you type it out. If I type it, then I'm the writer. You type it, and you're the writer. You're right. So I did, and I came up with this core story. Um, also in my research, uh, I, I realized that I, I had no idea plans to do a big fat production in New York or Chicago. You know, throwing a whole bunch of money at a show just was not my thing right away. Mm-hmm. So I suddenly realized, and I kept hearing this over and over, uh, you know, maybe why don't you just do a show that goes right to the secondary market? Secondary market is high schools, colleges, community theaters. There are 40,000 high schools in the U.S., There are 20,000 colleges, universities. There are 15,000 community theaters. All these people do a whole bunch of shows. I saw a list that came out and, uh, you know, the number one uh, produced, at that time, the the number one produced show uh, was um, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Really? And then I realized, I, I, I went online and I found out that Disney makes more money from the high school version of Beauty and Beast than they did and do from any of their big fat productions. And it costs them nothing, very little, if they just do it all electronically because it's all done. All the script is done, all the score is done, all the music tracks are done, and all they have to do is release it and somebody gives them a royalty. Yeah, they know how to market at Disney. They know how to market it. So, you know, as I was doing my research about that, I realized that many people who license these they don't want to do a new show that nobody's ever seen, that hasn't been to Broadway, that hasn't been to off-Broadway. So I knew I was getting to a big, fat challenge there. Uh. Uh, but I did write the story. And what I also did is I got a, a bunch of consultants to help me out, people in theater that I had known for years and years, and people that were also my clients as a CPA. You know, when I ran my firm, I did a lot of free things. I did a lot of discounted audits, discounted tax returns for actors, directors, theater companies. So a lot of people owed me favors, and I 
you know, I did them a favor, they did me a favor, and that's one of the best things about theater. Oh, sure. Is that we all kind of help each other out. Definitely. And what we realized was, you know, I, I'm not going to write the show, so I needed to hire a team to do this. I have a, a, a non-profit company called CPA Theatricals, Creative Productions and Theatricals. And we, um, uh, this consultant uh, group that I had, we put out uh, an ad for a composing team. And we were looking for a composing team um, to help us write the show. I knew the style. I knew I wanted it in Alan Menken, uh, a little bit of Mark Shaman, a little bit of Jerry Herman. I knew I wanted it to, to be accessible and catchy. You know, I, I love, love, love Sondheim, but this was not my thing. Uh, so we put out this notice, and I got 56 composing teams from all over the USA, Canada, Australia, and the UK that said, yeah. I want to write your show. Wow. Yeah. And it was, international. Yeah. Wow. I, that surprised me. I, I couldn't believe that, that how that happened. But, you know, it's a small world. The composing world is a very small world. Everybody knows each other and they all, you know. And so what, what, we, what we did was we asked those composing teams to send us one or two songs that they'd already written that was in that style. And what we did as a, as a team is we went through those and we evaluated you know, uh, how, what was the stru- uh, was did the song structure have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Mm-hmm. Did it tell a story? Right. Were the lyrics uh, part of the story? Were they clever? Were they interesting? Uh, did they make sense? Uh, and uh, mostly, did the music fit the style we were looking for? Right. Then we lowered that down to I think it was ten or twelve teams. Jeez. And. Uh, what we did is we sent them a non-disclosure agreement, and uh, we said, here's the story. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, write one song. Doesn't even have to be complete. One or two songs that fits anywhere into the story. It could be just a chorus and a verse. But just give me a sense about how you might present this. Well, immediately... Three or four teams said, you know, this isn't fitting into our schedule. Now that I read the story, this isn't really our style. Mm-hmm. Kiss, kiss, goodbye. Everybody's happy. And we got down to, I think it was nine teams. Wow. So nine teams submitted their materials to us. And once again, my team got back together and uh, we lowered that down to three teams. Two teams from New York and one team in Chicago. And at that point, um, I hired a director in New York, and my uh, husband producer flew out, and I flew out to New York, and we rented a studio, and we met with the composing team, and we hired an actress, and we said, here's a director, here's an actress, Get, uh, you have two hours to rehearse your number or two. Go. Go. <laughs> right. And I left the room, and I let them rehearse, I came back in a couple hours, and they presented their songs to me. 
And then after it, of course, I interviewed the director and I said, what were they like to work with? How open were they to developing the songs? Uh, I interviewed the actress. What did you think about it? How was your communication with them? How did you feel with them? And then I took them to lunch and I got to feel them out for myself and Mm -hmm. uh, asked them a bunch of questions and they asked me a bunch of questions. And I did this twice in New York and once in Chicago. Um, And the New York teams were hot shit. They were big guys and I, I kept thinking, why on earth did they want to work with me? <laughs> why on earth did they want to write this show? Good they, old imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> they, they, you know, they'd written so many things and I, 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 and they were so good. And then we met this team in Chicago and you know, they were a young team and they were edgy and they'd only written a handful of things but they kind of blew us away. Their songs were really great. They're, they were funny uh, they were interesting, um, and they challenged me. You know, they said, "I really think the story should go in a different direction." Hmm. You know, keep this basic thing, but I, let's let's add something, you know, completely different in the end here. And it was challenging, and uh, in the end, the team just decided that they were the best choice. So we ended up with Laura Stratford wrote the book, David Kornfeld wrote the music, and Alex Hegenhauser wrote the lyrics for the core musical that we created way back two, two and a half years ago. <laughs> so even before like the first technical line or note or lyric was written, all of that happened? All that happened. And not including um, lawyers' fees, you know, d- dealing with all the legal things that you had to think about. The right. commission agreement, the uh, uh, collaboration agreement had to be gone through meticulously. Uh, I had to refresh my memory with all the nonprofit IRS rules. I had to learn all the union rules of Actors Equity, SDC, all that happened before we started. <laughs> and that's what I was talking about earlier. People just don't realize that before there's the show that they're seeing, it's gone through so much. Where are you going to rehearse? How are you going to get these submissions together? Where are you going to put the submission notice out there? Who can you help that helps get the notice, you know, help, help you get the notice out? Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I often will say to to my friends who are writers, there's a there's a play or a musical in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Getting up, well, well, <laughs> title of the show is a little bit like that, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like there's so, there's so much business that goes on and and the writing and the rewriting that finally you see the play and you're like, oh oh my, there's there's the play, there's the musical, <laughs> there's the show. Yes. Uh, it gets. Uh, I, 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 Everyone laughs, everyone. I think you have to go through it to kind of understand. I do get a few blank looks every now and then. So, Well, you were also uh, an actor, singer, dancer. You were in 80 productions. Um, you've, been, you've directed and produced. Uh, it says here from your website, or from the CPA Theatricals website, that the last show, your 99th that you produced, was Les Miserables. <laughs> At Loyola University, a summer musical theater workshop for 32 Chicagoland high school students. That's a lot. Um, Tell me, what is your favorite thing to do? Where is your passion? Well, right now my passion is producing. Okay. You know, I started as an actor, singer, dancer. um, uh, And I left that because I got a dream show. I was doing Greater Tuna, my a, a dream role, wow. and it was a long run, and toward the end of the run, I was backstage, and we heard the music playing, and, and I got stage fright. Oh, no. And just a tiny bit of stage fright, but you know what? That's a lot of stage fright. 
and I just thought, I, I, I can't do this. And the actor, the only other actor in the show was next to me, and he looked at me and said, what, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? And I said, I can't go out there. And he grabbed me by the by my <laughs> shirt, and he said, pull yourself together. Get it together. You've got a responsibility. <laughs> wow. Now, we got to go out there in just a minute. Get it together. And I went on that stage, did the show, finished the run, and I said, I'm not doing this again. And I went to the producer of that theater, and I said, you know, he had helped me. He had let me help him produce Greater Tuna. Mm-hmm. And I said, I kind of like this. Would you mind if I helped you produce the next few shows in your season? And I said, I'll make you a deal. You don't even have to pay me for the next two shows. I'll do them for free. But after that, if you like me, you put me on payroll. Ah. And he did. I did, and he did. I was blessed and lucky. Yeah, I didn't know anything. I knew nothing about producing back then. But, and he just let me do it. And I fell a thousand times. I made a thousand errors, you know, and I got yelled at 15,000 times. And <laughs> I yelled at people 15,000 times. I made a ten, all these mistakes, but I did it. I loved it and I learned it. You know, uh, earlier, before we started the show, we were talking about uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, with the 10,000 hour uh, theory. I think he also discusses in that book that, uh, or maybe I've heard it somewhere else, that you, you, don't be afraid to donate your time, if you will, for a little while. Uh, it, it's going to happen in most careers, especially artistic careers. So I think a lot of people can relate to that. Uh-huh. You know, you're just, it, it takes a long time before you actually get paid to do anything here. So that's something that I think people just sort of need to accept. Yeah. That's but, right. But, but there, there is a cutoff after a while. That's, that's right. That's right. It, it, it's a journey, and you have to start somewhere. And that somewhere that you start very well might be an unpaid position. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so back to the show. I'm, gonna, I'm reading from your producer's note from the program. It says that, uh, that over the last two years, a series of readings have refined the show. <laughs> <laughs> These readings led to two workshop presentations in 2016, a presentation at the Chicago Musical, Musical Theater Festival allowed theater directors to consider whether the show was ready to be programmed. Just, just so many layers before it actually gets to the, to the stage. And a performance at the Illinois Community Theater sought feedback from regional producers. Finally, pilot productions at two high schools confirmed the value of the show. Yeah, so this was a journey. You know, when I, I'm a creative producer. I'm, in the old, I'm an old school guy. I'm in the old Hal Prince thing. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not an investor. Uh, I am in the room when the creative decisions are being made because probably have more experience than anybody in that room, mm-hmm. you know, on all the sides. So I'm a creative producer. So what we did was the writers wrote 20 pages just like you did right. and two songs, and then I hired actors, and I hired a musical director, and they rehearsed for three hours, and then we came, the writers and I went somewhere to talk business, we came back, and they read it in front of us. And immediately changes started taking place. Sure. Laura would say, too many words, cut, 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 right. stop. Uh, I think you should say this instead. And then writing frantically, David, the composer, would say, this is in the wrong key, this does not work, I'm going to change it right now. So all those little technical things just were solved. You know, it didn't wait for a big fat production and then you have to do 20, hundreds of things. Most of that little stuff was solved. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go back and rewrite it. And then a month or six months, three months later, 
they bring another 20 pages and another three songs. And I'd use some of the same actors or I'd use some different actors. And I hired them all. And I directed those first several workshops. Ah. And when we finally had a full show together, a 90-minute show with 14 songs, we brought a director in. So why do you wait so long to bring a director in? Do you bring it in from the beginning? Do you bring it at the end? And what I have learned, or what I was taught, uh, one of my mentors said to me, you bring a director in after you have a product. If you bring a director in too early, they may play, they may, it, it just, it, it, be, it, it may become about the director and not about the writers. Right. Yeah, or the director becomes a writer. That's right. Like an informal writer on the show. That's right. That's right. So we waited till we had a full product together, mm-hmm. the full thing, and we brought in the, a director. And, you know, at that point, this had, now we are two years into this. Right. So I had been having lunches and coffees and phone calls with a whole bunch of people, you know, I need a director. What do you think about this? I really want a woman director because it's all about women. It's all about young girls. So I asked a whole bunch of people. You know, I got a, got several candidates. I really want somebody who has experience with new development. And, you know, somebody who I was talking with was Amber Mack. And finally at lunch one day I said to her, I said, do you have any interest in directing this? Now, she was hot shit. So I thought, oh, my God, she's never, ever in a million years going to say this. And she said, yeah, I'll do it for you. It's just a workshop. I can do this for you. So... Is she out of Chicago? She's out of Chicago. Okay. She, you know, she's uh, the new works development director at Paramount uh, Art Center. It's this big theater in Chicago. They do shows with 23 pieces in the orchestra. Wow. And, yeah, it's big, big, big deal. Cool. Big, huge deal. Um, she wasn't in that position at the time. Mm-hmm. She was running a, a new works development company at the time. But she also had been directing all over and choreographing all over. She was Susan Stroman's assistant when she was in New York. Wow. Yeah, so she, she was incredible. She had been one of my consultants. The truth is I was helping her company with some accounting issues, and she was <laughs> helping my company with some new development issues. So right. it really worked out well. So we had this reading, you know, with no, with a whole bunch of actors of our first product and just a handful of supporters in the room, and you bring supporters in early so that they get buy-in, so that they can start writing checks, so that they start getting interested in the show. Mm-hmm. And we did this reading, and we had a meeting afterwards, and the director said, "Yeah, you know, it's good, but I think you're in the wrong direction. I think you should consider blah 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 blah. And by the way, you need a whole opening number, and you got your finale has to be cut. It doesn't work at all." Well, we were stunned. The show was good, but. She just said, I think you have a lot more there. So the poor writers went back to square one, and she said, I want you to strip everything out. Strip it out and bring me the core story, and let's go back and do it. And wow. she did it. It took a while, and it was bruising, uh, and they re- rewrote the opening number, and they rewrote the finale. <laughs> and, this, and then we were invited to the Chicago Musical Theater Festival. So we did another reading, and she said, okay, we're getting there. Now you need another opening number because it still doesn't work. It's just not there. It's not telling the story. And your finale's okay. Let's keep that. So we prepped for the Chicago Musical Theater Festival. This is a workshop. So how I define workshop was we needed to see the show on its feet. We had one costume, no sets, uh, set pieces, uh, you know, chairs and uh, blocks, that kind of thing. Um, 
uh, no sound, uh, but we had to get the transition music in. Oh, we had yes. to make sure all the, if somebody was going to exit, uh, if somebody had a costume change, we had to make sure they exited earlier. Mm-hmm. All that little technical stuff that many people don't even think about until it's too late. Right. <laughs> it was, the whole thing about this workshop was, A, does it work as a whole? Is the story being told? Um, and all that technical stuff, is there transition music? Uh, are, are the entrances and exits worked out? Um, are the characters fully developed? Does the story work? And we did it. And we had two sold-out productions at uh, Chicago Musical Theater Festival. And then I hired a moderator, somebody who had been a little familiar with the script. And we did an audience feedback. Mm-hmm. Now, writers don't like audience <laughs> feedbacks. <laughs> Producers love them. Writers don't like them at all. Because, you know, you always get people, some people make these crazy statements. What you do is you look for patterns. Sure. You look for a bunch of common things. Now, we did this three ways, and I learned this. Uh, my mentor told me this. When I go to audience feedbacks, I don't say anything. I'm, I'm a little shy. So people were allowed to send me emails with their comments. They were allowed to talk to the moderator. Or we had two ambassadors, two women, that were available for people to talk with one-on-one after the show. That turned out to be hugely popular. So people who wanted to say something at the show but weren't going to send an email, but wanted to tell their opinion, they were able to tell these people who had nothing to do with the show what they thought of it. That's very smart because a lot of people are afraid to speak, like raise their hand and ask a question. I am, yeah. So we had feedback from three different ways. Wow, smart. And we said, I learned all this. I didn't make this up. (laughs) (laughs) And what we learned was a common theme started happening. Oh, this character doesn't work at all. We need to cut this character. Ah. Uh, That's a big deal. Cutting a character, you know, is a big deal. Yeah, it it shifts the script around quite a bit. Quite a bit. And then we realized, oh, but we love this other supporting character. Can't she be through the whole show? Mm -hmm. You know, in our show, the uh, the drama teacher, McGarry, it initially was only in the first part. She's a great character. Incredible, right? Oh, my gosh. She got so many laughs. Based on real people. That character is, all the characters are based on real people, but that character is a combination of three different people in my story, yes. And if you see him on the stage, actually, someone who saw the workshop last Saturday said to me, oh, I, I relit, this one of the women has passed, and she said, I saw her on that stage. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think that, that you have so many characters that people can connect with either personally or they know somebody like that. Like, there's, a character in the show who is delightful. Her name is Barbie. And the minute she walked on, I was like, oh my God, that is my niece, Taylor. She looked like her. She acted like her. She's like kind of this adorable, uh, dippy in the cutest of ways. Uh, but yeah, really, really smart. Yeah, really, <laughs> super, like, like super smart. And I, I mean, I won't give too much away, but she has like this this system of coming up with solutions to the to the math problems that yeah. are posed to the to the to the uh, the group to the math team. Um, Barbie's interesting because I will tell you this: uh, one of the funniest lines in this. Barbie loves uh, unicorns, and one of my inspirations for that character was I had a roommate. Uh, in in the eighties, and at that time, they had these velvet paintings. Do you remember those oh. velvet? They were awful and oh ugly and tacky. How could we forget? And we were moving in, and she hung this velvet painting of a unicorn about two inches from the ceiling. Oh my god! And she brought me into the living room. And she said, "Look at it. 
doesn't it give you chills? <laughs> and we didn't know what to say. It was me and another girl. She said, and we didn't know what to say. And it was the ugliest thing in the world. It was two inches from the ceiling. And, I, and we all went, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then as we stood there, she turned to us and she said, now, are unicorns extinct or are they just endangered? <laughs> she was absolutely dead serious. And we didn't know what to do because she was the sweetest girl alive. And I don't even know how it ended, but that was one of my inspirations for the character Barbie. Oh, a delightful character. And, she, and she's, the audience loves that character. Yes, she's, yes. She's, she's a little crazy, but she's also smart, but she's also just real kind of in her own little world. And she embodies uh, one of the main themes of the show, which is is bonding as friends mm-hmm. and helping each other out. Uh-huh. And and I love that. And I, I think eventually all of the characters come around to that. Yeah. Um, talk about the actors in your show. Well, first of all, we're blessed. We're lucky. We have really wonderful actors. Uh, you know, I just heard a podcast from... Uh, Ken Davenport, Scott Ellis saying uh, 70% of his success as a director is casting. So true. Huge so deal. So true, yes. Huge thing. Now, here's a confession. I, I'm a terrible casting agent. Terrible. Hmm. I, 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 and I know exactly why, and I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. So I let somebody else do it. I'll help along. I'll give, you know, I'll give, I'll give an opinion. When we cast the show... Uh, the director wanted to use three actors who had already done the workshops. Mm-hmm. She said, we're going to use Maisie, we're going to use Madison, and we're going to use Danielle. They're wonderful, they're great. Everybody was great in the workshop, but she said, they are. They would fit best in the New York production. Right. So we had to audition three other people. Uh, and we had to have audi- equity auditions, and we, as we did equity auditions, um, we got down to, my job as a producer is to say to the director, give me your top three. One, two, and three. Mm. And then I'll go to them and try and do the negotiation and work out the time schedule. And if it work out with number one, great. If not, we go to number two. If not, we go to number three. And then I say to the director before this goes, will any combination of any of these work? And sometimes they say, yeah. Or sometimes they say, if one doesn't take it, let me know immediately because I may change my other one over here. Mm. It's all about, you know, does this one fit with this? Does this one look good with this one? Uh, You're so systematic. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you love it. <laughs> I drive a lot of people crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's smart, actually. So then we came up with these guys, and, you know, the McGarry character was the hardest, of course, to uh, cast because it's the mature woman. Right. The character is 55 years old, and it's important that she's 55 and not 75 or not 35. This is the drama teacher because she gets fired from... Uh, the school, right. when the school, all-girls school goes to become a charter school, she gets fired from the school because uh, the charter school isn't going to have a drama department anymore. And uh, the 26-year-old principal says, I'm sorry, there's no uh, drama department anymore. You're fired. You know, you're let go. And the McGarry, age 55, says, I need a job. Right. Nobody is going to hire me. I'm 55 years old. And the principal says, oh, I'm sorry. And by the way, it's a true story, true story. And so the 55-year-old says, oh, okay, fine. So she spends the summer looking for other jobs, can find nothing. Who's going to hire a 55-year-old drama teacher? And all of a sudden, she goes back to the principal in August and says, I need a job. 
I know, I know how to teach. I love this school. Can I, what do you have available? And the principal says, well, you can be the janitor if you want. And so McGarry sucks up her pride and says, I can do this. I need the money. I need health insurance. So she's going to do it. But if she's going to be the janitor, she's going to do it her way. She's going to have a flair. And boy, does she. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to have a flair. She's going to run this school and maybe put a little drama in where no one knows it. Right. (laughs) That was a hard character to cast. Our general managers wanted us to use a Broadway star. Mm. And there were several very significant names that came to us and said, yes, we want to do it. We were were offered them three days of rehearsal. It's a a role that you could do that with. Mm -hmm. Get three days of rehearsal and then open. So it would have been, you know, a long week out of their life. And we pay the minimum, but they three two substantial Broadway uh, 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 Tony nominated actors said yes, 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 and then both backed out. One got another show, and one got a TV job. And I was so frayed by that. I said, let, let, you know, let's use our original choice. We wanted Sharon Sachs in the beginning. Um, and I actually talked to her months ago, and I said, you know, we want you to do this, but, you know, we're, we're not sure how it's going to work out. Our general managers are blah, 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 blah. I went back to her, and I said, Sharon, you know, I hope you're still interested in this. And she said, let me check my schedule. She called me back. I'm in. Wow. So now we have this star. And you're like, ah. <laughs> this huge, you know, wonderful star oh, in that so role. Good. She's hysterical. Yeah, she she really is. Um, I think a lot of people can who are in theater can really relate to that kind of character. It's, it's, it's hysterical and with a big heart. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yes, she, yeah. she makes those girls find their inner joy, their inner love for math. Right. Um, I think that she, after seeing the show, I think that she is very definitely the heart of the show. Uh, she she teaches. Uh-huh. And what's wonderful is that she's not in a position to technically formally teach so she's not teaching a curriculum she's teaching about life uh-huh. which I think um, is, is well, obviously uh, academic teaching is extremely important but teaching kids how to be good people is such a wonderful mm-hmm. message and how to believe in each other mm-hmm. and, and believe in themselves and overcome their, their difficulties um, what about the, the I'm going to call them the, the quartet I wish that I wish that they were the foxes. In my mind, these four girls are the foxes. <laughs> and you need you need to see the show to know to know what that means. So we'll put a little tease out there. Um, what was it like working with them? Oh my God, they were so wonderful. Uh, you know, Chicago actors are incredibly talented. Uh, uh, I've worked with New York actors. I've worked with Chicago actors. Uh, when people come to Chicago to do a show, it's a different casting situation. You know, you're not going to get ten uh, six-foot-tall redheads uh, dancers. It doesn't work like that yeah, in Chicago. You're right. You're going to get it in New York, but you're not going to get it in Chicago. But what you're going to get in Chicago is you're going to get um, a different flavor. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, uh, uh, if you have a judge role, you, you may have a, uh, an African-American woman playing the role. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get incredibly talented people, but you have to be open to other alternatives. Right. That's, I think, a key. I love our actresses. They are real women. Uh, they're real young girls. They look like all the other girls in school. Sure. Um, they don't look... They're just... They are, they are real and true and authentic. Right. 
I agree. And incredibly talented. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, in my opinion, everybody in the cast has what they refer to as the X factor. Like, there's that little something special about each one of them that says that that person is going to be a huge star. Yeah. And what makes it interesting is that they're a little difficult to cast, yeah, you know, these totally. people. They're difficult to cast. They're not going to get cast in a chorus, you know, and they're young. They're character actors. They're, they're, they're difficult to cast, although most of them have some really great careers. Uh, so we're, we are so lucky to have them, and they're incredibly talented. And, and Jake? Who, <laughs> so Jake's the only Leroy. boy. <laughs> the He's only the almost boy. in the almost all-girl, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. And by the way, his name, Leroy, comes from, that's my nickname. Oh, People wow. in high school called me, and still call me, Leroy. I have an ornament that has been on my tree for Christmas tree for 30 years. It says Leroy. Wow. So that's where the name comes from. Oh, wow. That's, yes. that's great. Yes. And he's, he's a really funny character. And I don't know who came up with the idea of having him. He references a lot of stuff from like the early to mid-2000s. Yes, yes. And there's a reason why he does that. Yeah. So Laura, our incredible writer, came up with all, all those references. Oh, she's so talented. The only thing I gave her was I wanted him to become, uh, come from, so he'd spent all his life in the country of Laos. Right. Where, where the hell is Laos? Can I say hell online? Where the, where the heck is Laos? <laughs> I, have, I do have an explicit on my, okay. uh, on my iTunes. So yes, you, can, you can say hell and more than that if you want to. <laughs> because um, uh, uh, we travel a lot and we've been to Laos three times. Laos is one of the seven communist countries in the world wow. where they don't have the internet most of the time. Mm-hmm. And most people don't have electricity. So we wanted him to be from a country where he was completely out of it. Right. And Laos seemed to fit right in. It's like he has like a social blackout. And then he comes back and everything is referenced to like 10, 15 years ago. Probably when, you know, a good deal of the of, of the characters' ages were, you know, seven, eight, nine. Yes. You know what I mean? Or four. <laughs> yes. You and got then, it. You know, and, then, and then for the girls, it's like all this has been replaced by current stuff. But just he's just... Such a fun, fun character. Yes, yes. Yes, he's... he's and he eats, he eats junk food all the time. Oh. American junk food, because when we were in Laos once, I wanted potato chips. I said, oh my God, I had this craving for potato chips. And I went in to their version of a 7-Eleven convenience store. Uh-huh. They had no American fast food. Wow. Nothing. No potato chips, no Cheetos, no Doritos, nothing. What I ended up with, I think I got uh, some peanuts. But um, they had nothing like that. So I, that's so we that's how we brought in the the American junk food to his character. Oh, that's so great! Yeah, I've I've I myself have traveled abroad as well, and um, I've I've had that feeling of walking into a convenience store, and even if there are snacks, you're looking around going, "What the hell is all this stuff?" <laughs> I know, I don't. I just, give I want, me Pringles! I know, give I me want, Pringles! Like, I want barbecue <laughs> potato chips, and even even like in London, there's like you know shrimp cocktail potato chips, and yeah, all these things that, that 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 the, the natives grew up on. But you're, I yeah, I I hear you about that. I I who love junk food. <laughs> um, now, talk about your targeted audience for Numbers Nerds. Uh, that's, that's a great question. So, if we knew we wanted to go right to the secondary market. That means I had to do some research and study about what were their audiences. So if a high school production does Greece, mm-hmm. the audience is not filled with high school kids. 
This, our production is not TYA. It's not theater for young audiences. The people that go to see a high school audience is about 40 to 55% uh, family, friends, relatives. Then there's about another 10 or 15%, maybe 20%, that are people connected to the school. Then there's a small percentage of students. And the rest of the people that come to see are people in the community that see everything that the high school does. Mm. So it's mostly an adult audience. Right. It's not too, you know, so our, our show is not designed for high school kids, but it's designed for high school and middle school kids to perform. Wow. You know, right now we so get this smart. thing in our country where you can't say any swear word on stage in a high school or a middle school. You can't have any reference to alcohol, any reference to sex, any reference to suicide, blah, 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 blah. Wow. There are a handful of schools that do dabble in some of that. But over and over and over, I was told, if you really want to sell big time, you got to get rid of all of that. Wow. It has to be sanitized. So our writer, you know, we came up with the tension being stress. Mm-hmm. Stress and how do I fit in? And our lives are changing so much right now, uh, but yet I have to I have to fit in at, at school and I have to get my homework done. And yet my my I have so many kids in my family. There's no room for me, and I don't have any friends at all. I've never met friends, so that's where we got the tension in our show. And everything at that age is like life or death. That's right, that's yeah, right. It is life or death. And so, well, that's good. That's very smart. That is. That really, I mean, that's instant stakes that you can keep raising yes. and raising yes. and raising. And, and I, I totally felt that. Now, you have a, uh, a version for schools as well that, that's performed with a larger cast. Yeah, as I was doing my research a long time ago, I suddenly realized, you know, half the list of the top 10 bestsellers were small shows, Little Shop of Horrors, Grease, mm. uh, and the other half were big shows uh, Legally Blonde uh, I love Legally Blonde <laughs> I do I love it Disney's Beauty and the Beast these big 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 show and uh, Adam's Family so Adam's Family does this as a small version too so immediately very quickly I learned I wanted to do two versions of the same show so smart so we have a small cast version six people and we have a large cast version. Uh, by the way, that large cast version premiered last week, so we've been kind of busy here. Yeah, indeed. Bravo's uh, Bravo Performing Arts in Oak Park, uh, Illinois, and the amazing, talented uh, Tina Reynolds took our script and worked with our writer, Laura, and developed it for 25 kids. Anna, and they blew us away. She, uh, finally, as they were getting into their uh, last rehearsal, she said, do you want to come to see a rehearsal? By the way, I don't hang around in rehearsals as a producer. Oh. I'm one of these weird producers. I want to let the process happen. Sure. You know, I have a voice, and I give notes. Not many, uh, but I do give notes, and I expect them to be seriously looked at. But we went to this rehearsal, and I just sat in the back and cried because I couldn't believe these kids. You know, and finally, one of the at the very end, the uh, director said uh, to the kids, "Do you have any questions for Larry?" And one little girl said, "What inspired you to write this show?" I, I was kind of taken away, and I said, "Well, first of all, I'm a nerd. I've always been a nerd. When I was an actor, I made a lot of money as a nerd. And second of all, I wanted to do, do a show that featured all these, you know, young girls." And you could see these girls' eyes just light up. By the way, twenty-five kids. Four were boys. 
Mm. Four boys, 21 girls. Wow. Afterward, they said, one of the little girls came up to the writer, Laura, and said, this is the first feminist musical I've ever seen. Oh, Of course, she's probably seen three, but... (laughs) (laughs) But still. But still. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... And look, by the way, Laura was so happy at that. <laughs> Laura, Laura is great. She is like the Energizer Bunny. I'm not kidding you. She's she reminds me a lot of of you. I remember when I interviewed her. Number one, it was her birthday, and she's like, "I just came from this meeting and this uh, rehearsal. <laughs> it's my birthday. Then there's this casting session, and then I'm going out for my birthday, and then we're going to go see a play." And I thought. Um, she's going to go do all that today. Oh, golly. And, and, and I need to take a nap just hearing about it. I know. It, but. You are not kidding. By the way, I also want to say that, you know, as we were getting toward the end of the show, um, uh, uh, we brought in another composer to help us finish the show because uh, uh, our main composer, David Cornfield, went to NYU right. uh, and, and had a very full schedule. So uh, Dylan Markerell came in to help us uh, write the last couple songs that we needed, and thank God we all uh, created this incredible, wonderful product. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I had the, I interviewed the writers of the music yesterday, Alex and David, and they did mention him. So props to him. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I was going to try and figure out which song I felt were written. Which songs were written by other people, and I couldn't. You couldn't do it, right? I couldn't. Yeah. So, and that was our big thing. They have to all fit together. This to is fit. the same show. Yes. When you're when you're doing that, when you have co-writers like that, it's important that it sounds like one voice. Yes. And and it did. So that's that's terrific. Um, now we're talking a little bit about themes of uh, of uh, like feminism. Are there any particular messages and themes that? you strive to feature in the works you choose to produce um, be- besides feminism and female empowerment? Are there other things that you, uh, as a producer, like to take on? So, I think what is really important to me to produce is what I like to see. When I go to the theater, I want to laugh and I want to cry. Mm. Uh, I don't want to only be there crying and I don't want to only be there laughing. I want that combination. Levity. Levity. And I want to see real people on the stage. I want to see, even if they're Shrek, (laughs) I want to see something about him that's human. And I want to see something authentic. And, uh, you know, when I was uh, being interviewed by the New York Musical Festival, the woman, uh, Rachel Sussman, who is the producing artistic director there, who, who is so, so wonderful and helpful, said to me, why does your story need to be told right now? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I thought, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, at that point, that was December of 2016. Yeah. So, you know, the importance of women was, was uh, you know, extremely important in our society at that time. Sure. And is now, but... You know, is vital at that time. Definitely. Wow. Uh, so that is what really appealed to you with this story. Now, now, 
I, I'm gonna I, let me just ask this question first, and let's see let's see what happens here. Who on your whole team, creative, production, cast, crew, um, who is the biggest numbers nerd? Oh, that's a great question. That's I asked that to the writers yesterday, and I'm gonna see if you say the same thing. That is a great question. That's a great question. Huh. You know, in one sense, I would say myself, you know, but I, but, but I think I gotta say our music copyist, um, Mike Idalski. I mean, our, uh, our uh, musical director, Tommy Vendefredo, after our first rehearsal in New York said, and now I have to say thanks to the hardest working person in this room. And it was his music copyist who has worked like a dog wow. for this last week and a half. Who did they say? <laughs> they both, because I had, Laura was with them. Yes. So I, I asked, she was an honorary she's audience a, she, By the way, she's a close second. <laughs> well, well, Laura and David both pointed at Alex. Yes. 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 Like, they, yes. like they immediately, they were like, here's David, here's Laura across the room, and they both just pointed directly at Got him. It. And, Got and, it. And he completely owned it. Oh, good, 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 <laughs> good. Um, so is how prevalent uh, of a theme is, is, is math itself in the show? I don't know if it's necessarily a theme, but how, how the, the function of math, how do you think it plays into the show? So I get this question all the time, and I'm going to tell you something. So I'm a CPA, right? You know what? I, I don't know math. Take a deep breath. Being a CPA I'm a is, little thrown. is not about math. The only math course I've ever had is math in our culture. I've had accounting courses, but not math classes. I kid you not. This is honest to God truth. What accounting is and what math really is is problem solving. Mm-hmm. True. And you know what? I, grew, I was the middle kid of six kids. Uh, you know, five kids, really. I had a brother who passed away when I was little. but uh, So I've learned how to problem solve all my life. Okay. You know, um, and 30 years of therapy also helps, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, problem solving is easy for me. Do you go to therapy for success? Like <laughs> <laughs> problem solving is easy to me. And math is about problem solving. And we say that in the show. Right. You know, math is about problem solving. Uh, you know, keep your eye on the ball, but focus only on the next step. Mm-hmm. Focus on the next step, then follow logically on to the following step. You know, if you get all caught up in, well, you know, six steps down the line, I have to do this, uh-uh, uh-uh. Focus only on the next step, then move on. And then keep the, keep your, uh, keep the, your eye on the target, but focus only on the next step and do everything you can to make that next step happen and on and on and on and on. So process. It's process, yeah. I'm so glad that you said that because I thought to myself when I was watching it, um, math and how math works is really taking apart and pulling this plot from beginning to middle to end. They're using that to help them deal with with what's going on. That's in right. There. They're proving it. They're pulling it apart. They're analyzing it. Yes, 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 yes. Wow, that's that's amazing, and and I love that. There's so many things going on in the show um, that that are. Uh, that are so pathos-related, 
and yet it's it's still so funny and it, energetic it, and, and, and cute. I loved I thought it was just wonderful. I'm so happy you liked this I, I loved it. <laughs> I didn't just like it. I loved it. I think it's great. When we were on Seth Radesky, the first thing out of his mouth was, well, you know, I hate math, and I never use math. And we said, hold on a minute. Tap dancing is all about math. So is music. So is choreography. Oh, yeah. No, everything. Music. And he's a musician. Right. Everything is, is math in a musical. Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Da-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. It's yep. all math. Rhythms. It's all rhythm and math and combinations and problem solving. You know, acting is, is problem solving. What do I want in the scene? How am I going to get what I want? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yes. Absolutely. Um, now... When, and you were on Seth Rodetsky, and I'm sure that was super, super fun. I wasn't on. I was there. I had somebody there to promote Numbers Nerds, oh. and we all chatted together, yes. Oh, well, that's that's lovely. Yes. That's great. Uh, it's a fun show. When I was there, uh, I was an audience member, and we were talking about this earlier, and one of the uh, guests was Sheldon Harnick, and he was delightful. Charming, charming the ladies, um, and just just saying so many wonderful things about uh, theater that I completely resonated with me. You said you have a, a Sheldon Harnick story. So, so um, in November of last year, I got this email. Or I saw something on Facebook, or I saw I got an email. I don't remember how. Or somebody sent it to me. And uh, Theater Resources Unlimited in New York, true, do, do, does these workshops where you can do a part of your show and you get feedback from these big wigs. Mm-hmm. So. I submitted, uh, it was, and it was about the beginning of the show. It was called The World and the Want. And that was the part we had trouble with. Huh. So I submitted, and um, I thought, they're never going to choose me. Why are they going to choose a show, <laughs> show show from Chicago? Well, they did. And I, in conversation back and forth with the guy, uh, I, I said, you know, we've been working on our opening. I need some feedback. It'd be great. I said, I, we have a wonderful I Want song. And he actually said, you have a really good I Want song. And he said, we're going to choose you. So I, we came here in November, and we did the full day workshop or day and a half workshop. And I brought two girls from Chicago, and then I hired three girls from New York. And we did the opening number and the I Want song, and Sheldon Harnick was one of the moderators. Oh, my God. And it's a rough, it's, it's a rough opening to that I want song, you sure, know? Yeah. It's there's a lot going on. Yes. It's a lot going on. A lot to cover and fast. A lot to cover and fast and um uh, Sheldon actually Sheldon was only the moderator for the I want song. They broke it up. Uh and, Interesting. Yes. And uh so she, he was there and this was his response. By the way, the woman who uh sings the I want song which was called Melissa's First Theorem is Maisie Rose. Great song. And she's an unbelievable, right? Oh my God! Well, she's got they're this, all dynamite. She's right? got this Liz Calloway voice that just bites through. Oh, uh, wow, that's that's a good comparison. Yeah, right. Excellent. And um, so uh, she's she's saying the number, and this was his feedback. Well, the song structure is atypical. The lyrics were great, but they went by too quickly. But then you have this actress who sings the hell out of this song. And I forgot about all the other issues. Oh, wow. (laughs) And that was the only compliment he paid to an actor all day. And so 
our girls, and then we took a break. They said, could we take a picture with Mr. Harnick? And I went up to him. I said, can the girls? And he said, sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. He's very charming with the ladies. Yeah. So all the girls ran around him, and he just sat there and beamed, and we took all these pictures. Well, about a week and a half ago, I get an email from Sheldon Harnick saying, when is your show? So I sent him the dates in New York for Nymph. And so I'm hoping he can get here. Oh, I'll cross my fingers for you. And I, I wrote back, the girls really want to see you. Oh, you <laughs> and he is charming. And he's astute. And he just knows what he's doing. Oh. Well, I remember that he, he really spoke to me because he told me about coming to New York. Or he told us about, excuse me. I, I, I wish, it, to me it was like a personal audience. But I... He said that he came to New York, and we were. I was mentioning imposter syndrome earlier, and he was paired up with all of these great uh, musical artists. And he's like, I, I don't know what I did to deserve that. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, so much less than them. I feel so inferior. And I thought, you know, I feel that a lot. Uh, I feel that when I go to my writers group and I write with some, I'm work, you know, and there were some great people, and uh, and I thought if. If he could feel that way, so can I. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, it was it was just it's one of the, my favorite moments. I I love that. Isn't that interesting? Oh, it's it was great. Okay, so so back to back to you and Numbers Nerds. What makes Numbers Nerds so special as a show? Oh, that's just great. That's great. It's great. First of all, it's about it has a universal topic, math. Um, we have it, we've had inquiries from people in Japan from people in Thailand, from teachers in Singapore, who said, you're doing a show about math? Are you kidding? Because there's no language barrier. Hmm. You know, math is math is math is math. Even with the metric system? Because I was thinking if you took this overseas where they use the metric system. Well, did you notice in our show the math problems is a combination of metrics and the English system. And is that common in, like, overseas math competitions? Well, you know what? I don't know that. That's a good question. Huh. I don't know that. But I certainly know in, in Singapore and in Thailand, they use metrics and the English system. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's, yeah. that's, that's very interesting. Yes, yeah. So it's, math is universal. Number two, it features all these young women in leading roles. You know, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, and uh, he worked for a licensing company, and I said, you know, you got a whole bunch of pe- uh, shows in your catalog. You have actually, the person I was talking to had 232 musicals in his catalog. And I said, and I know almost every school has 80% girls. So let me ask you this. How many shows in that catalog have five leading female roles and one or, one or no boys? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't tell me because he didn't know. Because the answer is probably zero. Wow, I'm trying to think. Probably zero. Yeah, it, it, for young women, you know, right. of that age. Sure. We're not talking, you know, nonsense. You know, where they're fifty, sixty years old. That sometimes a school might do. I'm talking about high school girls. You know, uh, of course, there's legal lay bomb, but there's all those boys there too. Right, and, and, if you, and if you have no boys in your department, or you, you know, or one boy, it's just hard to do. Oh, sure. It's hard to do. So that that's another one, is that it, it, it's easy to cast. It's, it's about young women. Um, did I answer that question? You did. <laughs> you did. Well, well what, about, what about you and your personal feelings about the show? To, to you, 
in your heart, what really makes it so special for you? Uh, What's the personal connection to the show for you? Well, the personal... Huh. Um, By the way, Alex Higginhauser's lyrics are unbelievable. Oh, I agree. Unbelievable. I was like, these are so good. They are just off the charts. And every time you write something new... um, I can relate to it. Mm. You know, as I said, I was a nerd all my life. I got made fun of all my life. With my name, Larry Little. Can you imagine how horrible that was going through high school? So I was a nerd all my life. I was a nerd all through college. And then I suddenly realized, as an actor, I could make a lot of money on this. But, so what it, what it, what it, what the show does is it, it, it gives, it, it helps me understand that, um, you know, we're all in this together. There's a theme in the show that keeps saying, I can do this by myself, I can do this by myself. You have the tools to do it all yourself, but you need everybody. You need somebody. Your life is about a connection. It's about a team. It's about finding things to connect with in life, to build your true, authentic self. Wow. That's... It's so there. And and I'm glad that, that you have shepherded this amazing, wonderful show to where it is now and I hope it goes like farther and farther and farther and in into schools all over the world let's say the world cross your fingers uh, I, I, I will cro- I'll cross everything I'll cross everything <laughs> I possibly can at 52 that's that's a lot but still um, and I'm it's just it's just so wonderful I can just I know so many people so many we have a lot of young women in our family. It's like all girls and like maybe two boys. And I was just thinking they would just absolutely love this and connect with it. And, and as audience members, not just as actors who are like, oh, great role for me, which is there, but just just as people. Uh, so it, it, I, I can't say enough about this show. And, and, I, and I won't. I'll keep talking about it over and over <laughs> and over again. Uh, before we wrap up, tell us, uh, besides Numbers Nerds, is there anything new in the works for you or CPA Theatricals? Right now, no. In November, I'm going to start my next project. You know, I don't know what it is. Okay. I will continue to you know, work with, try to find a licensing, houses, a licensing house to... We are seeking representation for a licensing house is the best way to say it. Okay. To pick up our show. Uh, but in November, I will start work on a new show. I will start with the story, and you know, and maybe eight months after that, we go from there. But right. I'm going to take some time to write the next story. Good, good. That's that's great. Uh, well, I definitely think that you've got it all figured out. That's you've done so much more than most people do. <laughs> I, it's just so system. It's like I should hire this guy as my business manager. I, you know, I don't know how producers have other jobs. This is what I do full time. Oh. And I don't know how other producers certainly at the New York Musical Festival do this and have another job. Ay ay ay. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe it. One of the comments when I was talking to your writing team yesterday was they were like there there was tech going on and they said they came into tech. And they're like, well, there really isn't much for us to do. And they're, they're saying it's, it's really weird because when you're a writer and you're shepherding along your own project, you're also the producer. And they're like, we don't know what to do. We're so used to being in there and, you know, calling the shots. And they didn't. It's, I, I, th- I think that they were very definitely relieved that they had such a pro in there. 
And they were like, well, if you need a line changed, uh, I don't know, text me? I don't know. <laughs> but their script is in really good shape, so, so that's terrific. Uh, before we go, can you give our audience all your social media information, please? Sure. Um, on Facebook, it's Larry Little and Numbers Nerds, a new musical. On Twitter, it's at Numbers Nerds, the musical. And... We have an Instagram account, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm sure it's something to do with numbers nerds. I have somebody who helps me with all that. I, I do the Facebook stuff. Oh, do you? I do part of it. Yes, I'm, I'm not great at that. Well, it's not like you're busy or anything. <laughs> Larry at cpatheatricals.org. That's the good one. Okay, yeah, that. And, and does any one, of, do any one of those connect you directly to all of them? Um, uh, like do you like if you go to yeah your, so if you go to the Facebook you could see all the other accounts okay so they, you've got links everywhere and okay. Instagrams as well yes okay cool great now I'm gonna play a speed round with you before we go okay and this is basically I'm just gonna fire some questions at you and you just you just tell me okay you willing to do that yeah okay great um, what's your favorite play play or musical I'm gonna ask you that in a second okay play uh, Elephant Man okay musical um, Little Shop. Of horrors. Oh, I love the musical. It's so fun. Uh, do you have a favorite writer? Uh, Alan Menken. Okay. Director? Um, Hal Prince. Great. And do you have a mentor? Ken Davenport. Excellent. <laughs> I get emails from Ken all the time. So. <laughs> um, you have been a sensational, terrific guest so charming so knowledgeable and like such an insight into the production aspect of everything thank you you do such a great job here i love your podcast thanks thank you thank you thanks i get a little wood on the ball every now and then we're we're all so lucky to have you (laughs) oh it's my pleasure so thank you very much for being with us larry I, i appreciate it so Okay, at the end of each show, I like to give shout-outs to current productions worth a recommendation. And on, on, on tonight's show, in addition to recommending Numbers Nerds, which I've, I've done genuinely uh, over and over again, and I will continue to do so because it's so good, but on tonight's show, I'm doing a peer recommendation, and that's something that I do if, I don't, if I'm between shows, I don't have time to go see a show. Um, and this time it's coming from my dear friend and theater buddy, Ellen Margulies, who is married to Howard Margulies, who I interviewed for this show. So go back and check his interview. He is hilarious. He is so, like, super funny. Um, And the other day, she raved to me about a show that, like today's guest, has strong Chicago ties. Uh, Ellen has recommended a show called A Parallelogram by Chicago playwright Bruce Norris. And he's he's from Chicago, and he wrote this great uh, play called Clybourne Park, which won the Tony and Olivier Awards for best play as well as the Pulitzer Prize, so you know that's that's a, you know that's nothing to sneeze at, that's for sure. It and Claiborne Park is an awesome play. I fucking love that play. Um, but let's talk about Parallelogram. Here is Ellen's review, and I'm just going to read it to you really, really quickly. So bear with me. Um, from Ellen, a Parallelogram written by Bruce Norris and directed by Michael Greif. Is Greif or Grief? I should know this because he directed Rent, and I, I love Rent. Do you know? Grief for grief? Okay. All right, cool. Um, anyways, I'm going to say grief. Now at the Second Stage Theater in NYC is, was originally produced in 2010 by the Steppenwolf Theater of Chicago. A parallelogram is making its New York City debut and is now in previews with an opening scheduled for August 2nd. Ellen continues with, I love this play. 
Norris's dialogue is always crackling, funny, courageous, and thought-provoking. A parallelogram asks, if you could see your future and you don't have the power to change it, can you ultimately make peace with it? The cast meshes beautifully as it takes us through the lives of its characters, pasts, presents, and futures. There is one monologue in Act 2 that is so utterly breathtaking that I actually felt an adrenaline rush as it unfolded. In addition, add to that Greif's impeccable direction and Rachel Hawke's inventive set, it's a winning combination for this remarkable production. She continues to say, I'm a huge fan of Bruce Norris's work, as am I, so much so that when his play The Qualms, which we saw with Ellen and Howard, by the way, I know I'm doing all these sidebars, I'm sorry, Ellen, was staged here in New York City a few years ago that I saw it four times. To, to put it simply, his dialogue is a joy to experience. So, of course, I plan to see a parallelogram again, too. When a play um, precipitates great conversations and sticks with you for days, you really can't ask for more from a theatrical experience. So that's Ellen's uh, peer recommendation, and I'm going to go see it, and I think that uh, you all should too. A Parallelogram, again, is playing here in New York at Second Stage Theater. Please visit their website. It's the number 2st.com, 2st.com for Second Stage, uh, for tickets and information. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the vows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guest, the sensational Larry Little. He was so wonderful and great inside. It's a wonderful interview. You can find your program is your ticket at facebook.com, backslash your program is your ticket. Twitter at, at Program Ticket. The website is yourprogramisyourticket.com. And I'm on iTunes. Rate me and write me a review. I'm a writer. I can take it. I can take it because I take them all the time. Um, folks, take a little time to see a show this week. And don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of great theater gems out there. Until our next episode, good night, theater people and curtain. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying The Quiet Part Out Loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.